Well, this morning we're starting an eight-week series on urban legends. Now, I think most of you have heard of urban legends. They're usually secondhand stories. They're alleged to be true. They're just plausible enough that, in fact, they might be believed. Um, uh, they, some of them have been circulating for 50, 60 years, and people still think they're true. Uh, I think today they're not just folklore, they're net lore. Because if you're anything like me, people will send you uh, these email things about uh, things that are going to be happening in our world, like you have to write your senator this week because they're going to release every cell phone number, and now retailers will be calling you, tell, tell, uh, you know, what do you call it, tele, telemarketers are going to be calling you. And so literally hundreds of thousands of people wrote their senator but it was totally false that they were going to release all these cell phone numbers. But people thought it to be true. And um, I'll tell you what, what are the, the top ten, there's a place called urbanlegends.com you can go to. One of the top ten urban legends this year is that the reason that the ocean is salty is because it's from whale sperm. And so uh, this is now believed across the uh the, the uh, United States in many respects. And there's different versions of the same stories that just keep resurfacing. They have a ring of truth to them. And when you, dis- you really reach in and discover, you know, look a little deeper, you find out they're not true. Now, the reason I bring this up is that there are also spiritual urban legends. There are things that we believe that on closer examination we can see that they're not true. And a couple of examples of things we'll be looking at in the, in the weeks ahead is all you need is faith, a godly home guarantees godly kids, a valley in life means a wrong turn. These are just some of the urban, spiritual urban legends that we'll be looking at. And they take on a, a life of their own, and, and uh, they almost become impossible to refute. Uh, several things are, they only might sway you, you know, a degree or two and are not critical to your faith. But other things that we hold on to and believe can really lead to disastrous endings if we hold on to those uh, spiritual beliefs. And so I want to tackle some of those. C.S. Lewis one time made this statement. He said, if you are taught an illusion, you will become disillusioned. Taught an illusion, you will become disillusioned. And if you've been told some things about what who God is and what God will do for you, and then if God doesn't do those things for you, you become very disillusioned with God. Think of a person who writes off God because somehow he didn't come through with a promise that they thought he had made. And my bet is that some of you have even questioned some of the things that we're going to bring up in the next eight weeks, and you really didn't buy it, but you thought if you... If you raise the issue, people would think you're unspiritual or liberal or whatever. And so uh, I think that some of these things that we look at may rock your boat in the next couple of weeks. But I want to encourage you to examine these with an open mind and an open Bible. And each of these spiritual urban legends, they, they look like gold, but they're fool's gold. Once they're tested, they're really proved worthless. And so today our urban legend is this. Everything happens for a reason. And I'm sure that you've either heard or you've said it, usually in the midst of a difficult time. Someone came along and they said, well, you know, God meant it for good. There must have been a reason for it. 
You know, you must be very special to God that He could trust you with this illness. You know, won't it, won't it be great to see how God uses us in the days ahead? You know, God doesn't make mistakes. Uh, isn't it good to know that everything happens for a reason? Now, underneath that is the idea that somehow, if God allowed something into our lives, it must be good. And if we just will give it enough time, that eventually we'll see in the rearview mirror that what happened to us was really good. In other words, if God is a God of love, then anything that he allows in our lives for, is for a reason, i.e. a good reason. And we just need enough time to discover what that reason is. So when bad stuff happens, that's where we immediately turn to this idea that it happened for a reason. Well, when it comes to the bad stuff happening, I've got some good news and bad news for you this morning. Uh, the good news is this. Everything happens for a reason. Uh, no matter how wonderful it might be, no matter how terrible it might be, everything happens for a reason. So far, so good. But here's the bad news. It's not always the reason that we had hoped for. Because we think, oh, God had something better in mind. This happened because God is preparing me for something wonderful. This happened because in the long run, it will all be good. And I have a spiritual phrase for that. Baloney. You know, not necessarily true at all. And here's the verse that Christians have turned to, and even non-Christians, in, a, in the kind of spiritual mindset of our culture. It's springboarded from Romans 8.28. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we read that, and probably from the King James Version, we say, we know that, that all things work for good. That in everything, God has a good reason for it. But that's not what the verse says. Look carefully at the promise that's found in the verse. It says, in all things God works for the good, not all things are good. And there's a huge difference. What it's saying is that in the midst of the worst that the enemy might bring your way, or whatever life might bring my way, no matter how bad it is, God in the midst of that will be doing his good stuff. Not that it was necessarily good in itself. It is just that God in whatever he touches can bring good. But that does not promise or imply that, that in any way that, uh, that bad things are good. In fact, if you've ever had been told by someone for comfort, you know, oh, well, you know, this is a good thing, you know, that usually doesn't bring a whole lot of comfort. I've been, you know, pastor for uh, coming on 30-something years now. I've been... I've had people in my church have been killed by a drunk driver. I've had uh, young people die of cancer. I've had kids OD on drugs. I've had a kid killed in a motorcycle accident. I've had infant crib death. I've had people fall off a ladder and been paralyzed. And people come up and they say, you know, God must have a reason for it. There is no comfort in that at all. We don't like to see people in pain. And so we do what we do is we throw out a line like that. And, and what we're throwing out is an urban legend. God never said that. He said, whatever it is, I'll work in that. But he didn't say I caused it. And he didn't say I needed it. And he certainly didn't say it was good. It says he works 
for the good in all things. Now, there's two large print conditions here. My dad used to tell me to always read what's on the lines and don't read what's between the lines. And so when you, when you sign a contract for a business agreement, they always say, be sure to read the fine print. Well, when it comes to the Bible, you should always read the large print because God's promises always have conditions. And this passage is not saying that everything is eventually good. What it says is, in the bad, he does some good. And he's not saying in every case either. There are some conditions. God can and will accomplish his purposes, but it's a far cry from saying that everything that happens is good or necessary. Again, verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That sounds like a condition, doesn't it? So the first large print condition is that God will work for the good and will bring some good into bad and do good beside the bad and around the bad if we, number one, love Him. And then there's a second clause here. For those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. Now what in the world does called according to His purpose mean? It's a theological phrase all throughout the New Testament, which means God called you and you responded. And when you did, you moved into his family. I'll let you study the verses about what it means to love God there. But let me just say that when the scripture talks about living in obedience, it means when I know what he wants, I do what he wants. I might have blind spots. I might have areas that I struggle with. I may take two steps forward and one step back. But I'm living in a desired state of obedience. And the second thing about being a part of God's family, I put several verses there that you can look up later. They all refer to our being called and we respond to become part of his family. You know, in our world today, we have a tendency to believe that everybody's a part of God's family. And that's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible does say is that everybody is made in the image of God and therefore they have incredible value. And that's why we love them and we serve them and we try to win them. But only those who step across the line of faith and give Christ the steering wheel of their lives are brought into God's family. So, the promise is dependent on two things. Love God and give your life over to Him. And then, from the inside out, He begins to change me. And then from the outside in, even from the worst, He begins to bring some good into my life. Do you see how different that is from what's often presented? I wish it was that all things work together for good, but truth is better than wishful thinking. And those who assume that everything that happens has God's fingerprints all over it fail to distinguish between what God allows and what God causes, between what he permits and what he prefers. You know, in many cases, pinning everything on God can lead to some unjustified Anger towards God. I've met people, and I'm sure you have too, who don't want anything to do with God because of an injustice or a tragedy that took place in their life, and they blame God for it. And the argument usually goes like this. If God is responsible for your mess, he's obviously not very good and not very powerful. And so why would you want to waste your time on a God like that? Now let me give you two reasons why I think that a bad thing can be a good thing. First, if God had something better in mind, maybe you're chasing something, you're pursuing something, and God's going, no, 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 I've got something much better for you. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but 
I can tell you out of my own experience, some of the girls that I dated in the past, I am so glad that I didn't end up marrying them, that somehow the relationship ended or it fell apart. You know, and then I think, oh, what if I had married them? And uh, now I'm married to this wonderful person. You, you look back on that, and you look through the brokenheartedness that you felt and the devastation, you think, man, I sure am glad I didn't marry that person, because God had something better in mind. Maybe some of you would have this experience. Uh, maybe you were fired from a job. You were crushed and you were devastated, not knowing where you were going to land. And sometimes when something bad happens, I don't have a clue, but God has something better in mind. Sometimes a bad thing is a good thing because it's just a necessary step towards a greater good. You know, there's a great story in the book of Genesis. We studied it several months ago about Joseph, that spoiled brat. And his older brothers, he really ticked them off, and so they sold him unjustly into slavery. And he gets thrown into prison in Egypt, and he has tremendous personal integrity, so much so that he wins the respect of the jailer, who identifies him as the one who can interpret Pharaoh's dreams. So he gets promoted to the number two man in Egypt. And the next thing you know, there's a famine back in Joseph's land, and and make a long story short, his family comes looking for food and the brothers that sold him into slavery are there. And because he's the second in command of Pharaoh, he's able to give them some food and, and they're able to survive. The brothers are a little nervous. And then in Genesis fifty twenty, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And there are times like that. Sometimes you may not know at all why it happened. When I was in Scotland, I got a chance to go to a sheep farm one time while I was studying over there. They take these sheep and they put them into these like baths of pesticide in order to kill the parasites. But when they get in there, it just stings their eyes and the sheep really go crazy about it. And I'm sure that the sheep are thinking, why in the world are you doing this to me? And the guy can't communicate to them, the shepherd, you know, I'm doing this for your own good. I'm sure that, you know, when my children were getting their shots when they were young, they're thinking, what are you doing to me? But it was for their good. I'm so glad my mom got me a polio vaccine, you know. At the time, it wasn't pleasant. But I can see now that it was for my own good. And God may either have something else in mind or it might be a necessary step to a greater good. I could tell you story after story of this in my life where a door was shut and a better door opened. But what we have to understand is that even though God does that, he does not do it in every single situation. And when we become embittered with God, it's when we assume that he made a promise that he never made and that he must do always what he does sometimes. Did Jesus heal people? Yes. Did he heal everybody? No. And the why or the why not questions may never get answered this side of eternity. But let's look at why a bad thing might be a bad thing and just kind of pull it together this way. First, bad stuff happens to Christians and to non-Christians because we live in a fallen world. You know, this is a, a core biblical, theological, spiritual truth. I want you to get it. And if you don't realize that we live in a fallen world and that this is not heaven, then you are going to be headed for some pretty stinking thinking, you know. And stinking thinking always ends up with wrong and bad decisions. I wrote on your study notes Genesis chapters 1 through 4. 
Here's the flyby, Genesis 1, God creates everything, it's good. Genesis 3, disobedience, you know, I know a little more than God does. And then sin and death enter the world. And then we often miss, after Genesis 3, the story of Cain and Abel, son, sons of Adam and Eve. Abel's a good guy, he does what God asks him to do. He brings a sacrifice to the Lord. Cain... He decides he'll bring his own sacrifice, but God wants it done in a prescribed way. And so Cain gets ticked off, and he goes and he kills his brother Abel. I mean, this is one of the first stories in the Bible. A guy's doing a good thing, and he gets killed by a guy doing a bad thing. See, once sin entered the world, and once we started making our own choices, instead of following God, the repercussions were disastrous. And so we live in a fallen world, and if I don't expect the results of a fallen world then I'm going to always ask the question, why God? And he'll say, read Genesis. And just when I'm you know, ready to want to punch Adam and Eve out, I realize I make the same choice as they do. So you expect it. We live in a fallen world. You know, from a badly timed economic downturn to bad people doing bad things to rain on the day of your daughter's outdoor wedding, it's just part of how life happens, you know. 1 Peter 4.12 tells us not to be surprised when we go through trials. Look at this verse, Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good. Those who say a bad thing is a good thing. That everything is good. You know, I hope God has a good thing in mind. I hope it's a necessary step. But frankly, sometimes bad stuff just happens. And it's the reason that I... I can't sell my house because I'm unspiritual or because there's an economic downturn in our, in our society. You know, that's just the reality of our world right now. Does that mean that God has let us down? Or you're praying for a sunny day while there's some farmer someplace else praying for rain? We sometimes assume that we're the center of the universe. But the truth of the matter is that we live in a fallen world and sometimes bad things happen to us and our loved ones simply because this isn't heaven. Now, there's a second reason why bad things can actually be a bad thing. If we've ignored God's warnings. You know, we all know that scripture. I hope you do. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And the fact of the matter is, when I ignore God and take things into my own hands, bad things happen, which is exactly what God warned me would happen if I disobeyed. You know, when I was a youth pastor one time, this girl came to me and she says, Why did God let me get pregnant? And I'm thinking, well, maybe you disobeyed his warning about sexual purity. You know, this one kid says to me one time, My parents don't trust me. Well, maybe it was your dishonesty about where you said you were going to be that has contributed to their not trusting you. You know. And by the way, sometimes I do wrong in an area of my life, and then the consequences show up in other areas of my life. Drug or alcohol abuse, perhaps dishonesty, people who rob God who say maybe later I'll do what God tells me to do, people who refuse to forgive or those who seek revenge. And sometimes when bad things happen, it's as a result of sin in our lives. We read Proverbs 1 later this week. It'll shock you. Especially in verse 23, he says in that passage, I cried out to you with advice, but you would not listen, says the Lord. You know, the consequences of ignoring God's warnings. I want to see how, I want you to see how this works. So this week, take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. See, this is a part of my new streamlined, uh, 
<laughs> Thanks, Gary. All right, here's another reason why a bad thing may be a bad thing, is if we make foolish decisions. You know, we've all known people like this, and we've all done it in one time or another, where we go through life and we think, I know best, I'll do it my way, and if it's a really dumb decision, then God will fix it. You know, only to find out later that God doesn't always fix it. Foolish decisions have consequences. Proverbs 19, 2 and 3. It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. A person's own folly ruins their life, and their heart rages against the Lord. I don't know if you've ever done that. I know I have. I've done things where I didn't check out all the facts. I didn't seek the Lord. I didn't seek wise counsel like he tells us to. And I made hasty decisions that are foolish decisions. And then it all breaks loose. And my response is, why, God? Why? And he's probably just thinking, because you made a stupid decision, Bill. I used to think that God would you know, run around and fix every dumb decision I made. But the scriptures don't teach that. They teach, seek wise counsel, seek the Lord and get the facts. Proverbs 22.3, the prudent sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and they suffer for it. I don't know how many times where we've ignored God's warnings and then we expect God to bail us out. Sometimes bad things happen because I just made a bad choice. Now, there's a fourth one. And here's, uh, I, I'm, it's a frustrating one. It's getting caught in the backwash. Here's what I mean by backwash. God may be in the process of, of judging the greater or larger world or community or culture. And you may be living in obedience and walking with God, but you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, we studied this a couple of weeks ago when uh, Nate was teaching us about Daniel. And you remember that this was an incredibly righteous guy. And unfortunately, the nation of Israel had been disobeying God and disobeying God and disobeying God and, and, and doing everything that he said not to do. And he warned them that he would let an outside nation come in and, and take over. And that's exactly what happened. And so Jerusalem was destroyed. And they kidnapped a bunch of young men, and Daniel was one of them. And they take them to this foreign country called Babylon. Now, what had Daniel done? Nothing. But he was caught in the backwash. And it's just a part of living in this world. You know, my mom lost a sizable percentage of the value on her house. And she's one of the most godly women I know. But she got caught up in the backwash of a national financial crisis. What I've wanted you to see in our study today is the reality of life. The messiness of it. The lack of simple answers. And that we've got to let God be God and to take his promises for what they are and not read something more into them. And that leads to my last point this morning. I call it something to hold on to. And something to hold on to in the, in the deep weeds and the rough waters of life is not, well, God has a purpose in it. Or everything will be good when it's all done. Six years from now, I'll look in the rearview mirror and I'll say, thank you, Jesus. No, here's what we hold on to. It's the promise called heaven. I think we've lost that. You see, we live in a day and age where we think heaven should be here and now, but it's not. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. Obviously, we're all going to die. And it says this, If only for this life 
we have hope in Christ, then we of all people are most to be pitied. You know what your great hope is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Yes, God brings good, and he does fix things, and he changes things, and he alters them. But my great hope when I get caught in the backwash of what's going on, when I'm living in a fallen world, when I've made foolish decisions, and when I've disobeyed and I've experienced the consequences, here's my great hope, that there will come a time when all this heartache and all of this pain is a distant memory, and as the scripture says, every tear will be wiped away and every sorrow and suffering will be made right. And every injustice will be balanced out. But the scripture doesn't teach that it's here and now. It's then and there. And the more we look for it here and now, the more we will be disappointed with God. Because we'll think that we have this promise that he never made. If in this life we hope, then we are to be the most pitied. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, but not always the reason that we think. Let's pray. Father, give us the eyes of wisdom as we go through life. Some of us blessed beyond what we deserve. Others of us just barely hanging on, wondering what in the world is going on. But Lord, give us the wisdom to see that all this going on right now is only the waiting room for heaven in the midst of every difficult and fallen, a very difficult and fallen world, would you make us faithful and help us to walk well and to run well and to finish well? To your glory and for our benefit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my brothers and sisters, we're going to gather at the Lord's table right now. And in some respects, when we come, we recall the promises of God, but we also recall the warnings of God. So we need to examine ourselves and take a time to repent. We want to give thanks for the redemption of Christ, what he's done for us, and we remember his death. And we pledge again our love to him and our resolve to serve him. But we also, as the scripture says, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith and make our confession to our Heavenly Father. So let's just take a moment to bow and to examine our own lives and to confess our sin, and then I'll lead us in a prayer of confession. Let's pray. Well, Father, we have sinned against you. We've sinned against our neighbor, our brothers and sisters. We've done it in the things that we've thought. We've done it in the things that we've said, and we've done it in the things that we've done. Sometimes through ignorance sometimes through weakness, and sometimes even by our own deliberate fault. We've wounded your love, and we've marred your image in us, and we're sorry. And we ask you to forgive us for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us all that is past, and lead us out from darkness to walk as children of light. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.